Syzygy episode 43, Moss Piglets in Space. And welcome back for another edition of the Syzygy podcast. It's been a while. My name's Chris Stewart. Sitting opposite me, Emily Brunston. Emily, it's been like months. Who are you? I don't even know. I have absolutely no idea. I've been away. You've been away. But we're back here in your office here at the University of York. What have you been doing? Well, we've been proliferating science, I think, all of us. We have in some more successful ways than others. And some of us had a bit of a holiday and there might have been some food and drink involved in that. Probably a bit too much. Just Food a little drink, bit. It's like I'm Christmas, honest. isn't it? Yeah. Oh, tell you what, I'm about ready to just not for a <laughs> while. Not on all of it. It's been insane. I have been down in Australia for the best part of three months, which was really nice. Got to say, Australian winter, particularly if you're anywhere north of sort of like down around Melbourne, it can get a bit chilly. Hobart, definitely. But if you're up in Queensland, where I spend quite a lot of the time, like middle of winter and my family and I are doing surfing lessons on the beach mm-hmm. Glorious sunshine. Like, this is winter. You're killing us all. It was fabulous. Absolutely fabulous. And then all the food and drink happened and I got fat and sick and it was time to come home. So that's what I've been doing. Well, it uh, turns out we did actually have a summer over here in the UK as well. Yeah, so I heard. Heat it was, wave. It was Nuts. really rather nice. Um, and in fact, during the worst of it, I was in another heat wave area because I decided to do, of course, a busman's holiday. Of course. And go for a really, really nerd, big nerd out at um, in Washington, D.C. Hey. For the 50th anniversary of the moon landing. Wow. So you were there. for like, That must have been cool. That was so, so cool. We got to see the Saturn V rocket projected onto the monument. We Amazing. went to the Air and Space Museum at like midnight. It was it was very, very exciting. Now, I have I have a friend in Australia who, uh, she's a teacher and she goes on these sort of, I mean, they're supposedly educational. I think it's just a, a, a big rort, frankly. But she accompanies a whole bunch of students every, every year, or every couple of years over to do the big NASA tour, right? And she said that when she's gone to, to do the big NASA tour thing, she always comes back with, with this sense of USA, USA, you know, that, that it really does switch you on to, wow, America really is awesome, isn't it, that they can do this stuff? Whereas normally you might be thinking a bit sort of, uh, not quite so sure how I feel about America in many ways, but you come back from this with a big number one USA. Um, did you have the same sense? That, well, there was definitely that message out there. Yeah. I mean, how much of it you take on board is kind of up to you, right? Um, but yeah, they were very positive about not only, of course, the history and all the wonderful things that happened um, in 1969, but also looking to the future with the new Artemis missions and, you know, being very positive about all the cool new things that NASA's going to do. So that was nice. Yeah. I mean, as we have discussed uh, in, a, in a previous episode of this podcast, you know, it's not just looking back the previous 50 years, and that's a pretty good 50 years to be looking back on. And uh, what was it, July 20th, yeah. they landed landed on the moon back 50 years ago. So huge celebration looking back at the past. But there's also an enormous amount of stuff going on into the future. And we'll be touching on a bit of that, the, the moon stuff, uh, in this episode. But one thing that I did want to get onto, we've, we've talked movies in the, in the past before, and I just wanted to ask you, Emily, did you see... Just, just indulging in just one final bit of, of Apollo-related nostalgia. Did you see the documentary Apollo 11 when it came out? Of course of I did. Of course, because you're a big nerd like me. And guess where I saw it? Uh, couldn't possibly imagine. Probably somewhere awesome. Go on. On the IMAX at the Smithsonian Air and Space Museum. I hate you. I hate you. It is the kind, if you haven't seen it, folks, it may, I don't know, it might be too late for you to actually get out and see it on the big screen. But if you can find the biggest screen that you possibly can find, it really 
does pay off. I saw it, I've seen it twice. I saw it once on a big screen, not IMAX size, but big. And I saw it once on the plane on the way back from Australia. And I, I have to admit, it was really good to watch it the second time, but it did lose something in the translation to the, you know, six-inch screen that's on the back of the plane seat. Was it something to do with the 11-year-old kicking the seat behind you? That probably had something to do with it as well. But yeah, I mean, this is an amazing documentary. It's all you know, documentary footage from the time. It doesn't have any... And now we'll interview Buzz Aldrin as he is today, looking back. It's none of that. It's this gripping the edge of your seat, um, you know, journey through the entire Apollo 11 mission from rolling the rocket out onto the launch pad right through to landing in the ocean and going through, you know, quarantine and so on afterwards. And the entire time, even though you know, you know what happens, you know that the thing lands on the moon and they get back home safely... You're gripping the edge of your seat the whole time going, oh, my God, I can't believe they're doing this. It's amazing. So if you haven't seen it, please do. Do yourself a favor and go and see it. So, yeah, the moon. We the have moon. a moon story today. Oh, love and the it's moon. And it's a cracker. This one involves landing on the moon or rather crash landing on the moon and maybe contaminating the moon with some well, little crawly things. Some people would say colonising, right? <laughs> colonising. I'm not sure that that's the way we ever intended to do it. Emily, what are we talking about here today? What have we landed on the moon? What have we put... The, what have we done? So this is a story that really tickled me about a month ago. So we um, we had this Israeli space mission, right, that was uh, called Bereshit, which unfortunately um, it didn't land on the moon. It smashed full face into the moon uh, in April this year. Yeah, it, get, it got really close, I seem to remember. I was reading it about was it. It was doing very well and yeah. then it just failed then to it, yeah. stop. Yeah, <laughs> Basically. and... And as you know, as 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 we all know, when you're trying to land on the moon, there's there's a very small difference between landing successfully and just smashing all over the surface. And that distance, that difference is control. And I think they lost control, and it all went horribly wrong. Um, but it wasn't it wasn't just you know a lander to see whether or not they could do it. This this thing had stuff on it. Yeah, so it had a whole bunch of scientific instruments and so on. But what really came out and hit the press in August was that we found out that there was uh, a few little uh, friends, I guess, on there. Yeah, and, and not, uh, like the way I originally heard the story was, oh, no, this thing's contaminated. You know, that they're, you know, we've crashed this thing and it's got stuff on it. But but actually this was intentional, that, that there was stuff on this lander which was intentionally put in there, all sorts of information, but also biological stuff that was intentionally included on this spacecraft to land it deliberately on the moon with this stuff on there. So let's wind this back a little bit. This is, this is Israel. Since when is Israel sending stuff to land on the moon? This is part of this whole new era of space flight and space exploration. It used to be NASA and Russia, America and Russia, Israel's doing it now? Well, yeah, and a whole bunch of other countries too. So actually this particular mission was part of the um, Google SpaceX prize. Oh, okay. So there was a prize, I think it was about 30 million something on that order. A lot of money, basically, that Google stumped up to say, look, can you land um, successfully a thing on the moon by this date? <laughs> it turns out... No, but... <laughs> well, well, nobody did anyway, in fact, because the mission was a bit late. Mm -hmm. um, they passed the deadline um, by about six months or a year anyway. But so, this was going to be the first private lander on the moon, wasn't it? Yes, yes. So it was, it was a combination of um, different sources of money. There were some universities involved as well. And um, it was basically just a kind of technology spur 
um, prize. And again, nobody won the prize, although actually um, Google did give, I think, about a million uh, US dollars to the, um, the team who ran the Beresheet spacecraft. Well, that's nice of them. They kind of sort of got there in the end. Constellation prize. I mean, we did land on the moon, to be fair. Yeah, We did yeah. get there, just not just exactly the way Just laid in a lot of pieces, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, you didn't, you didn't define how you wanted us to do this. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, so that is what's kind of spurred this mission. And it was, you know, it's, this is a really low budget uh, mission. And it's just proving that we're now at the point where we can push technology and push um, not only the engineering, but science and all the mission controls um, that you have to put behind one of these missions into being, you know, kind of like the CubeSat revolution in a way, uh, where more smaller and smaller groups of people can do this kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, getting stuff into space now is. I hesitate to use the word trivial. It's not trivial. You know, launching something filled with fuel off a, off a launch pad up into space is still a hard thing to do. But it's not nearly as hard as it used to be. And getting stuff into orbit is now pretty easy. Getting to the moon is definitely harder. But the fact that this could be done and get to within a very small, I don't know what happened, a very small error of landing on the moon with a bunch of stuff on board... You know, it could very easily have gone well and have actually succeeded. And oh, the fact that yeah. we're there is staggering. Yeah. So, so, I mean, it is a big success in its own way um, as well. Sure. Do we know what actually happened? Do we know what went wrong? Um, I mean, I, they do, presumably. Do uh, we? Sort of. I think the, some motor sort of just decided to not happen anymore. Some rockets didn't fire and then, yeah, sticky and was met. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> hmm. I mean, I was talking to, just going to drop this one here, Clang, talking to um, a, a NASA flight director a little while ago by the of name of Matt were. Abbott down in Sydney, uh, who was down there for the for the big 50th anniversary celebrations. And he was talking about how, you know, down at, at, at Mission Control in NASA, it's relatively easy to do stuff with the International Space Station because they're just there. You know, if, if stuff goes wrong, you can just send up a spacecraft to dock with it and, and, and help out. And you can do that pretty quickly and you can communicate with it pretty easily. The moon is much harder because it's a really long way away, as we've discussed before. And so getting something to the moon is hard. Landing on the moon is really hard. And if something goes wrong, too bad. There's not really much you can do. Anyway, so that's what happened. That's what happened. Why did it take so many months for this news story to then... Well, I think it was kind of... I don't think it was really deliberately hidden, but as part of the mission, um, a group called the Arch Mission Foundation had kind of um, a little bit of a time capsule, I guess is one way to look at it. They included on the spacecraft a bit of a kind of a record of human history. Now, who are these people? This is, uh, this is an American foundation, I think? Uh, yeah, so they're, they're basically just interested in sort of taking a snapshot of what humanity is, what life on Earth is like, and kind of making a preservation of that. Because, you know, the world is looking a little bit bleak at times, and maybe think? we won't be around forever. Let's not go there, but yes, I know what you're talking about. So, you know, let's make kind of a, a copy of kind of a we were here stamp and put it somewhere which might survive if the Earth doesn't. Yeah, now they're quite keen, this this foundation. What are they called? The, the Arch? Arch Mission Foundation. Right. They're quite keen on, on sort of spreading these these time capsules or these, you know, cross-sectional slices through through the human condition out through through our, our local area of the of, of space. They have form in this regard. They've already got one out there, haven't they? They've got one in the glove compartment oh, of yes. that Tesla yes. that went up. When was that? Was that last year? Oh, it was two years ago, I think. Was it? Whenever it was. Um, 
yeah, in the in the glove compartment of of Elon Musk's red yeah. Tesla, which is winging its way out towards Mars somewhere, um, there is one of their their little archival um, you know document items um, carrying all sorts of information out there into the void. So they've already done this once, yeah. And this one, they wanted to land on the moon. Yeah, for some just, just to live on the moon is kind of a we were here mm-hmm. record. So I mean, the first thing you sort of think about if you're going to make a preservation of all human knowledge is to basically print out Wikipedia, right? Which okay. is actually for, what they did for better or worse. So they <laughs> yeah. good, right? They printed out Wikipedia basically on a very very very, very tiny scale. Just, That's know. quite a lot. I, just, I mean, so, something like thirty million pages. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, okay, think about that. That's going to have all the information about like huge amount of history and. All, all of our encyclopedic information, but it's also got like the Kardashians <laughs> are in there and would have a frightening amount of prominence because they're very famous. You know, there'd be a lot of stuff on there It'd about be... Kardashian level humanity. Is that like, are we okay with that? I don't, we, we don't really have a choice. But, no, no. Uh, so it's all out there. I'm hoping there was more from the information side, more than just Wikipedia. Um, well, I mean, was... Don't get me wrong. I'm a big fan. Yeah. I do love Wikipedia, but good to have a good wiki. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they did do that, and then well, to kind of back up, um, have you heard of the um, the seed collection at Kew Gardens that they're yes. creating? Yep. Yeah, so basically making this kind of time capsule of every seed they can possibly find. They're gonna they're making it, um, storing it basically, mm-hmm. and looking after it in this archive. So it's kind of the same idea, but with DNA. Right. So okay. they've got something like 100 million plant and animal cells that they included as so well. So this, this isn't the genome code. This isn't the sort of C, Gs, Ts and As written out. This is the actual this cells. This is just a cell, yeah. The actual DNA is, is up there. Okay, yeah. right. Presumably protected well so that it doesn't all sort of get irradiated from space. Yeah, so these are um, sealed in epoxy resin, basically, which is protected. Jurassic Park style. <laughs> well, yeah. indeed, yeah. Um, and so the idea is, you know, perhaps somebody in the future could come along. Now, this is beyond the technology that we have today, I must say, but they could come along and find these cells and extract, say, the DNA and then figure out, well, that was a... You know, cat, and right. that right. was a whale. <laughs> but yeah. so this is this is sort of somewhere between Jurassic Park and Walt Disney's head in a jar somewhere in liquid nitrogen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. I, I get that. That's fair enough. And I, you know, I can I can see I can see why. No, I don't think anyone has a real problem with doing things like this. It's just sure. Kind of, sure. But there were it. other things as well. But yeah. So now included in the, those cells were the cells of some particular creatures called mm-hmm. tardigrades. Right. And these are particularly very interesting creatures because tardigrades are kind of, they, they're just, you think cockroaches are indestructible. These guys are much, much, much worse. Yeah, yeah. But when we say worse, I mean, okay, let's back up a little bit. I had to look up what they were, right? I'd heard of them before, but I had to go to the aforementioned Wikipedia and type in tardigrade. And first of all, they're kind of cute. I mean, yeah. Yeah, okay, they're half a millimetre long. And so when you know that, they're kind of cute. I wouldn't want to come across, you know, a human-sized one of them because it would be terrifying. But they are kind of cute. They're, they're these sort of little roly-poly. They have other names, don't they? They're, they are. They're, yep, yep. they're um, called water bears. Water bears. Um, but mainly uh, water because they're they're typically found in watery environments. Yeah, wettish. Environments. Yep, yeah, yeah. So they don't really bears. look much like bears. No. I mean, that's a bit odd. They have 
four sets of four claws. pairs of legs with the little claws on the end, and, yeah. a, and a funny sort of sucker teeth filled mouth on the front, which is actually terrifying if you look at it too closely. But otherwise, they're cute. Um, but they have another name as well, which they're is also called moss piglets. Moss piglets, I which think I think is much fabulous. Yeah. I don't know why we haven't adopted that wide scale. Tardigrade, no, leave it out. Moss piglet for the win, absolutely. So moss piglets are winging their way towards the moon on this Israeli spacecraft. Why? Well, basically, they're the only, well, the first and only species that have ever managed to survive in the vacuum of space. Seriously? So we've already done this experiment. Well, yeah, we shoved them in space and see how they liked it. Moss piglets in space. How did So how? Why? Okay. Well, was that the, deliberate? Or it was, was very it? deliberate, yeah. yeah. So this is back in 2007. We, we just dumped them out into space and said, how do you like them being? <laughs> it does sound a bit cruel, doesn't it? Let's see what else will survive in space. Kittens? No. Put a big X beside that. Tardigrades? Hey, turns out. Yeah, but they well, we knew that they had a reasonable chance because they have this amazing ability to basically go into this dormant, dehydrated state. So it's like kind of when you dehydrate fruit, I guess. You, right. You suck all the moisture out of it. Um, but the tardigrades are able to kind of go into this ultra hibernation state where they're using less than 0.1% of their metabolism. Wow. Okay, so really, really shut down. Really, this isn't just yeah. hibernation. This is we're, we're basically on... Or nothing here. Yeah, this is ultra sleep mode, right? Wow. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I do know, because having done extensive research on <coughs> Wikipedia about an hour ago, um, that they are found in the most extreme range of environments on Earth, right? From from the poles through to the equator, from land through to deep sea volcanic ocean vents. You know, the works. You yeah. will find moss piglets <laughs> Everywhere you look, and turns out space is not much of an issue either. No, they can survive up to 150 degrees Celsius or down to nearly absolute zero. Which, you know, in space, you're going to yep. get both of those depending on which way you're facing. <laughs> exactly. Um, and what's really, this is the, the key one, they can survive a lot of cosmic radiation. Right. That is a big one. Yeah, because, I mean, that's a problem even for us in space. Yeah. Spend too much time up there and all of the... Because our atmosphere, and particularly the Earth's magnetic field, protects us from a lot of this stuff, which is constantly bombarding the Earth from the sun and from space in general. Um, and spending too much time out in space is not good for our health. But the moss piglet is fine with that. Yeah, well, they've been reanimated, if you like, um, after being out in the yeah the, the extreme radiation, the vacuum, the microgravity of space. Not fine. Okay. So we sent them, we, the, the Arch, whatever, Arch Mission Foundation, um, sent these little guys within this capsule on the spacecraft to the moon, which then crashed. And presumably that's the thing that caught the, the world's media attention is, oh, my God, did you realize that that thing that crashed on the moon was filled with, with water bears and now we've contaminated the moon with tardigrades? Is that the story? That's is that the basically story. the way it's been happening? Yeah, it's, it's a little bit extreme. Um, so, as I say, we had these cells of these these um, organisms trapped in that in the resin, just like we had humans and cats and goodness knows what else in there as well. But we also, in the... Well, in the um, the Arch Mission Foundation also put together this tiny little sample. So it's about a little piece of kind of what they call sticky tape, basically, which was about a centimetre by a centimetre. And they stuck some tardigrades to that. Right. So it's not just the cells. It's not just here's, here's the DNA 
and the, the, the gel around that. Let's whack some actual moss piglets on there yeah. stuck to a piece of tape. Yep. And then they encase that in this kind of what they call a DVD case of lead and some other things. Cool. Okay. And then the idea was basically, well, stick these things on the spacecraft. The spacecraft lands on the moon, does its science, blah, blah, blah. But the tardigrades stay there. And then one day we can go and pick them up and we can reanimate them and say, oh, did these guys survive, you know, five, ten years just chilling out on the surface of the moon? Space piglets. So, okay, I guess I can see that. I mean, that kind of makes sense as a as a uh, an experiment and i'm i'm sure that there were fairly good experimental parameters around that 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 we're not just sending moss piglets up for the hell of it and knowing that they are these incredibly resilient hardy creatures makes them a good choice to do it you know you're not going to do that with I don't know, a, a dolphin or something it's a really <laughs> bad choice to send up but a moss piglet makes a lot of sense and then the spaceship crashes on yeah. the surface, so that's the and so <laughs> everyone goes a little bit berserk, saying we've now, we've now, you know, infested the moon with these indestructible moss piglets. And you know what happens from here in science fiction? In science fiction, what happens is that the next time humans actually go to the moon, these things have spread and evolved out of control and are now, you know, fifty feet tall and are eating everyone and have lasers and have lasers well, there was a there was a film wasn't there? I, there was a film where cockroaches basically took over new york i remember seeing that and it was it was this sort of evolution out of control i'm imagining that basically that you know the the next equivalent of neil armstrong stepping out onto the surface of the moon just immediately gets overrun by massive tardigrades you're about to tell me I can see it in your eyes. You're about to tell me that that's not going to happen. Unfortunately, they're not wriggling around all over the surface of the moon. Right. So even if, you know, the spacecraft when it crashed was so damaged that the disk itself that these tardigrades were in got ejected, even if this very strong disk thing of lead somehow broke during the impact and the, the tardigrades were set free onto the surface, even if those things happen. And that's already quite some big ifs, right? Yeah, yeah. We're going a long way here. But these, let's assume that that's all happened. These guys need both an atmosphere and water in order to reanimate. So we're lacking at least two of those two things that they need. <laughs> Hmm. So at the moment, even if those if they are loose, then they're just dehydrated lumps of right. tardigrade. Right. So it's not like they would have been, you know, incredibly unlikely to be ejected from the crash spacecraft and then go, yippee, we're free at last. It's all ours. Everything that we can see, let's go this way. No, they're just, at, at worst case scenario, they've been flung free of their bit of sticky tape and are now just sort of little lumps. Yeah. Yeah. So they definitely, they can't move, they can't reproduce, they can't start inventing new types of lasers to kill us with. So let's just go through this timeline again. This happened in April, right? And then a bit like the tardigrades, the story lay dormant for a number of months. <laughs> and then suddenly someone went, hang on, did you realize what was on this thing? Oh my God, we've crash landed on the moon with these biological things, which will be crawling around. Are you telling me that maybe this story has been a little bit overblown? Maybe just a little bit. Just a little bit. Right. But it does raise some interesting points, right? And it does, it's a sort of, I mean, the, the first reaction is, oh, no, we're polluting the moon with organic matter, blah, blah, blah. Sure, that's a worry. Right? And we shouldn't you, do we that. Should, we should worry about that. And I actually went and had a look because, I, you know, I'm a bit of a nerd. And I thought, you know. Not actually, so much that we've noticed, but that's okay. I thought, I wonder what actually are the rules 
Right. What other rules? Well, of, there probably would be rules. What are there? rules about taking tardigrades? You know, to just any old place in the yeah. solar system. Yeah. Can you do it? Can you not? Okay. So hit me with it. Right. We're going to get into some legalese now. Okay. Do it. So we have something called the Outer Space Treaty. Right. right? Um, and the Outer Space Treaty is most countries signed saying that we're going to only use space for peaceful purposes. You can't go and claim things like a planet or a moon for another for a nation. You can't do that. You can't put weapons of mass destruction in space. That's not allowed. So you know, kind of sensible humanity things. All right. right. We'll we'll see how that how long that lasts with Trump's space force. But anyway, yes. <laughs> for now, yeah. And US definitely has signed that treaty. So. <sighs> okay. Um, yes. So and then that apart, another group called the Committee for Space Research, mm-hmm. which is um, abbreviated to COSPAR, administer one of the articles of that treaty, which is basically about. Um, how we look after the like the scientific like virginality of the solar system. Right. Like we how do we not contaminate the rest of the solar system? If, especially if we're trying to find life, make sure we don't take it there ourselves and then rediscover ourselves. Yeah, that would be embarrassing if the first life we found in the solar system was actually put there by us <laughs> yeah. accidentally on the last mission that went up there. That would be bad. So you might have heard we sterilize a lot of space equipment. We yep. make sure that everything, we don't try to take as minimal amount as we can. Yeah, you see these the amazing pictures of, of these huge clean rooms where they're constructing the various satellites and, and mission components and so on. And they're these just, you know, people dressed up in the, in the, in the, the full sort of hazmat style <laughs> uniforms. And it's all very, very clean and very, very careful. And that's for that reason, that we don't yes. want to contaminate our, our space environment. Exactly. And we also are worried about back contamination. Right. So anything that we accidentally bring back to Earth from somewhere out in space that may have not existed on Earth beforehand. Yeah. Yeah. That was the the really cool thing about, again, going back to that Apollo 11 documentary, the very end of it. I don't think I'm giving anything away. They do come back safely. <laughs> yeah. think, you know, if you're going into the see the film and you don't know that, I'm sorry, that is a spoiler. But what I didn't realize was that the astronauts were put into quarantine for something like two weeks. Um, to just make sure that they hadn't, you know, picked up something really nasty from the lunar surface and about to pass it on to the rest of humanity. Oops. Um, And we continue that to this day because we've talked about on this podcast before, you know, we go out into space, we pick stuff up and we bring it back again from time to time. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and so like a lot, well, maybe, maybe not like a lot of things, but this, um, the protection that Coast by looks after has is a classification scheme where they basically decide, you know, how likely is it that you're going to contaminate with the scientific purity of whatever you're trying to do. So they have a scheme from one to five. So a one category one place to go in the solar system, which means you pretty much don't have to take any precautions. It's like, it'll be fine. Right. Um, so we're not would... looking for life there at all. Right. So like Leeds. Or... <laughs> well, the sun. Yeah. Well, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably a better example. Yeah. 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 So if you if you want to send a mission to the sun, you don't have to really take any precautions at Fair all. enough. It's kind yeah. Of... <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be all right. Um, now, the moon is the next category, category two, which right. is interesting. Okay. So the quotation is, there's only a place where there's only remote chance the contamination will compromise investigations. Okay. So walk us through that one. I mean, the moon is important, mainly because it's the closest thing we've got that's not specifically us. It's it's relatively easy to get to. We have been there. It's the only place that we've walked on, but it's fairly far down the scale of having to worry about too much. So why? It is because we're pretty sure there's nothing there. Right. So, yes, we don't want to kind of colonise it with stuff, but it's also such a hostile environment that nothing's really going to live. Why is it so hostile? I mean, it, it doesn't have an atmosphere, sure, 
But there's plenty of places, like there must be lots of moons that don't have atmospheres and so on. Why Why is the moon so hostile? Well, the, it doesn't have the atmosphere, so it's got the radiation. It doesn't have a magnetic field, so you're not protected from that radiation right, as well. Right, yeah. And it's not, I mean, it's it's pretty much dead. There's no volcanic activity, so there's nothing bubbling up from under the surface. Uh, during the lunar night, it gets so insanely cold that everything just would freeze, right, basically. right. So it's, a, it's not an easy place to okay. So we're not visit, so concerned. Let alone try to live. We're not so concerned. Exactly. So from that point of view, you know, throwing a couple of tardigrades out, we're, we're not really fast. Well, I guess we wouldn't just want to scatter them willy-nilly all over sure. the surface. But, tardigrades you know, are everybody. The mission, the mission took fair precautions. Pockets right? full of them. Just get rid of this stuff. And let's, be, let's be, but put this into perspective a bit as well. I mean, this is not the first kind of biological material that we've taken or even left on the moon, right? What, so what else are we... Well, if you cast your mind back to 1969 yeah. and in the following five years, there's something like 100 kilograms of astronaut waste on the moon. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. And waste in the sense of... Poos and wheeze. Really? Yeah. Oh. I mean, I guess I kind of could have worked that out, but... Oh. Yeah. Really? Yeah. When fuel is so tight, then you've got to leave that behind. I'm now imagining those little bags that you take around with you when you walk your dog. Yeah, I think that's pretty much it. They're just little bags that they've left on the moon. I didn't really want to know that. But I guess, you know, that does put a few tardigrades in perspective, doesn't it? There's a lot of poo on the moon, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so in terms of leaving, you know, leaving a trace of of biological stuff from Earth behind. The moon's basically already spoken for, is what yeah. you're saying. We've even had a living thing on the moon that's not a person. So um, the Chinese spacecraft that uh, landed, the Chinese spacecraft that landed in January, mm-hmm. they um, had a plant, or several plants. Oh, that's that right. Grew, yeah, yeah. Little cotton yeah. seedlings. Uh, they lasted like a couple of days. But were they left there, or did they, they were? They were sort of grown in this controlled environment inside the spacecraft itself, right? Um, but yeah, they they grew and they sprouted, and then it got cold and they died. Hmm. I guess I could have probably predicted that one myself, actually. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. So, that's the one that landed on the um, on the far side of the moon. Yes, I was about to say the dark yeah. side of the moon, but that's wrong. On the far on the side far of the, side of the moon, isn't it? exactly. Yes. Which is yes. why it was daytime for a while, and yes. then it got nighttime, and then kind it got cold. Sense. Yep. Yep. Okay, so we've done the whole bio- biological stuff on the moon thing before. In fact, plenty of times. Yeah. So really, this time around, it's not such a big deal. And that's level two on this one to five scale mm-hmm. of let's be really, really careful. So what's a, th- what's a three? What's a four? What's a five? So a three is if you're going to fly by somewhere which is of significant interest. So right. a place that we actively are looking for life. So if you want to have an orbiter or a flyby mission by Mars, mm-hmm. by Europa, by Enceladus, Titan, these kind of places, um, then you've got to be pretty careful. Right, because even flying by what you know, stuff could come off the spacecraft exactly, and into the atmosphere yeah. and it only takes a little bit. Yeah, so there's something like a limited number of like 30 pollen spores per meter cube that you're allowed to have on your wow. spacecraft. Okay. It sounds like a lot, but it's actually, it's actually not for decontamination levels, that's really yeah. not much. Okay, so that's the flyby, that's level three. Yep. Yep. Level, level four. four is the same thing, but with landers or mm-hmm. probes that are going to go down to the surface. So like super, lot, even for Mars, there's even a sub, like several subcategories that you've got to adhere to depending on what you want to do on Mars. So very, very careful with those places to not you know contaminate them yeah fair enough fair enough and level so level five must be pretty extreme then well level five is sample return 
Ah, okay. So right. if you're bringing stuff back to Earth, the precautions that you've got to take. Right. So you're going somewhere. You have to be incredibly careful to get there in the first place. And then, seriously, guys, if you're bringing stuff back, can we please lock that in a very, very strong box until we know what's there? Because we've all seen the films, right? <laughs> we know what happens next. We've seen this story and we're all going to die. That's how that works. Cool. Okay. So there is actually law about this or there are policies about this. There are people who are looking into this sort of stuff. Yeah. And we've been worrying about this, I mean, since even before the Apollo mission started. So the Outer Space Treaty goes back to the 60s, uh, 67, I think they first signed it. So it's good that we, as collectively as humanity, want to protect these environments. And I guess stories like this, although they're a bit tongue-in-cheek and kind of a little bit silly that their moon Moss might piglets be on the moon. colonized by these little critters, um, it does remind us that, you know, these things are important and that we do want to preserve particularly some very special places in the solar system until we know more, basically. It'd be nice if we could apply some of the same principles to a lot of places here on Earth. Do you think we could do that? Uh, well, I guess there are. I mean, there's lots of UNESCO World Heritage there places. There are. I mean, you know, right? tongue slightly in cheek, but I just, yeah. I don't know. It, uh, it, it makes me really happy to know that we are looking after the solar system. Well, kind of, it's, it's, it's nice easy to, to control that... space when there's only a few people who can go. I mean, yeah. the, the next 50 years are going to be very interesting to see what happens. Okay, so that's, I mean, Israel has almost landed on the moon. Well done. Um, and presumably they're going to be back. Yes, and trying they're, again. they're planning a second okay. mission. Yep. Excellent. So well done there. Um, China has already done it, and they landed on the other side of the moon, and then they grew some little plants, and then they died. But I guess that was part of the plan. Um, and we're obviously America, Russia. Who else is going? There's got to well, be other people going. Yeah, of course. We've got an Indian mission now. Cool. In fact, that's very exciting for this week, which we're recording. So hopefully when um, you're listening to this, it'll all be, have happened and it will be a happy ending. Yeah. So here we are. This is to what today is the 2nd of September. Yeah. So something happening soon? Yeah. So today we're talking about the Chandrayaan um, 2 mission from India. And uh, they uh, today detached their lander probe from the orbiter. All right, so it's it's up there right now. It's up there right now, and it's about to on Friday, um, and for us here on Earth, to land on the surface of the moon. Very it's cool. Got a rover as well, so awesome. a little rover that's going to come out. So, yeah, it's it's quite exciting. So they're looking at up to maybe a two week Earth time mission because they're going to basically. So the the moon has a day which is uh, about fourteen days earth days long because the moon rotates once every month right right? yes it goes through the full cycle of full moon round to new moon which is where you you can't see it at all um and 28 days so its day is roughly 14 days Long. Yeah. yeah, so they're landing at kind of very early morning for the moon and hoping to run around on the surface of the moon with the rover for about um, two weeks in Earth time and then it will get cold and night so they're not really expecting the um, like either the lander or the rover to survive too much into the lunar night. Very cool. Is this? I don't really know much about the, the Indian space um, organization. Is this the, the first time this is they've Israel. done something this well, they did have the first mission, which was an orbiter mission, which was quite successful. Right. So, yeah. So they have they have been before, but not landed. Very cool. They'll only be the fourth country to ever land on the moon successfully. Successfully, anyway. yes. Just, <laughs> just leave that one out. There. Come on, Israel, <laughs> make it five. Yeah. But for the time being, only four successfully. Sorry, yeah. you don't quite make the grade. Very cool. Well, we'll be. I'll be watching that 
to, to see how the news goes on Friday. That's very exciting. It is really cool. Yeah, And they've got a whole suite of science instruments on board. So well, for two weeks. I mean, that's a long time. Yeah. You know, yeah. Neil Armstrong was only on there for, what, a couple of hours at most? Yeah. So an hour or something? Less, less than 24, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I guess when you're not sending people up, it's somewhat easier to stick around. You don't have to worry about things like, you know, breathing. <laughs> yeah. Robots don't tend to need that. Well, that's it for this Moss Piglet-tastic edition of the CCG podcast. It's good to be back. Yes, nice to be back in the yes. seat. I'm very excited. Yeah. I mean, we had to go all the way back to August to get to like a story that I was like, at the time, I was like, oh, I just really want to record this right now. So I'm really excited to do all the things that have happened since August and all the things that can happen in the next few weeks. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess we've got a little bit of a backlog of stuff that we, we could probably sift through to find things to talk about. But we never run out of things to talk about on this particular program. And we really hope that you stick around to, to listen to future episodes. So there's all sorts of different ways that you can find out what's going on on CISG. And one way is through our website, syzygy.fm. You can go and find us there, find all of our past episodes, leave us a comment, send us a question, get in touch and say hi. But Emily, there are so many other ways. What are the other ways that people can get in touch? So, of course, we've got Facebook. Yes. So if you just throw in the S-Y-Z-Y-G-Y into Facebook, then we pop up. I found out you can even message us through Facebook because one of our wonderful listeners did that the other week. And that was very exciting. Yes, it was very exciting because we uh, got a little bit of a shout out on, uh, on the Slate Money podcast. So hello to anyone who's listening to us, having come to us from the world of finance to the world of astronomy. Lovely to have you. We'll nice try to not here. to get our numbers wrong. That's right. And we probably will, but we'll try not to. And we're at Pod as well yes. on Twitter. Yes, indeed. In fact, most places out there on the on the interwebs, if you just throw in at Pod, you're probably going to find us out there yeah. somewhere. is a beautiful word. It is. S-Y-Z-Y-G-Y. And uh, listen, one thing that you could do for us, one thing that would really help us out is uh, if you enjoy listening to the show, if you enjoy what you've heard, then give us a review, right? Most podcasts will ask this of you. But the reason that we do it is because it helps us to rise up through the noise and allow other people, other like-minded space nuts like us, to find out about what we do. The more listeners we get, the happier we all are. But that does bring us to the end of this particular episode. So until next time, for a little bit more space-themed astronomy goodness, it's goodbye from us. See you later, Emily. See you later. Okay, it's good to be back. Bye, everybody. Um, well, I mean, I think moss piglets in space, clearly. Revenge of the moss piglets. Uh, is it revenge, though? <laughs> no. That's surely later on yeah. when we find them again. That, that, that's the second movie. <laughs> that's right. the third movie Israel does land and is immediately taken over by moss piglets. <laughs>